Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is episode 192 of the show, and today we got the chance to sit down with Tony Gilfoy, the founder and head distiller of Noble Cut Distillery. Josh and I really enjoyed the chance to get to know Tony a little better and hear his story and even brought in some of his whiskeys and limoncellos to try. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode because we definitely did. And as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that episode, though, as usual, we got to take a quick moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting, positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Congress, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Tony Gilfoy joining us, and Tony is the founder and head distiller at Noble Cut Distillery, located in Gahanna. Tony founded Noble Cut with the help of his grandmother, Serafina, whose limoncello recipe became a centerpiece for the brand, and they also distill several types of whiskey here locally. We're really excited to have Tony on to learn more about his story and how Noble Cut came to be. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Tony. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here, and I'm even more excited when I see a lineup of some whiskeys and some cellos to try. Yep. So, really excited for that opportunity, but how's your day going so far? Uh, just zesting oranges. Zesting That's all I've been oranges. doing all day, man. What's involved with zesting? What exactly so, is it? Uh, so, when people make limoncello, especially uh, at home, the, mm-hmm. the home, the, the, they're producing it, 
usually they just get a lemon and then they get a zester. You know, that's where you just shave it. Uh, we actually go a step further where we find that it's easier to do petals. So we actually have a zesting uh, knife almost. And we just one by one zest the lemons, the oranges, the limes, or the grapefruits, whatever batch we're making at that point. So uh, whenever we do a lemoncello batch, it's about 800 to 1,000 pounds of lemons, which actually it sounds like a lot, but it only takes about one day. When we do the limes, because they're so small, that could take up to three days because we need about 1,200 pounds of limes. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of, that's a lot of zesting. Yeah. So when you talk about a batch, is it, are you, talk to me about someone who's completely ignorant on the process of making alcohol or any type of limoncello. A batch is just what is our batch for defined uh, for the limoncello for all the the cello lines. It's about fifty gallons. It's fifty gallons of about one hundred and eighty five to one hundred ninety two proof uh, NGS. It stands for neutral grain spirit. It's just a fancy word that distillers use for Everclear. Uh, we make ours. It's a wheat based NGS, uh, and then we hand zest all the lemons and or the citrus fruit we're using. And then we put it into these uh, five-gallon carboys, so we get about ten. Um, and with it's the biggest Maltov cocktail you've ever seen. It's actually pretty cool. But you put the zest petals in, you let it sit for three months, and then you clear it. And then, uh, which you just taking the petals out. And by that point, the petals are brittle; they're pale because the high alcohol content is just actually pulling the oil out of the zest. Hmm. So they're pale and they're brittle. Um, and then we let it, we put in a liquid inverted sugar and then we let it sit for another month and at that point it's time to bottle. Okay. So that's a batch of the cello. Whenever we're making whiskey, you know, we start with either a corn base, which our corn based whiskeys are 70% corn, 20% malted Vienna barley and 10% white winter rye. Our wheat whiskey is 80% raw wheat, 20% malted wheat. So the whole the whole process goes is you get the grains, you put it in a mash tun, you cook it to extract the sugars and the enzymes, and then uh, you put it into a fermentation tank for about seven to 10 days, you add the yeast and that sugary grainy water becomes anywhere between a nine to a 13% ABV beer. Mm-hmm. And then you put it in the still uh, after that, and that's where it, through, the, through heating it up, you're extracting the vapors out of the beer and uh, you're putting it through a condenser. So we end up getting about uh, between 22 and 26 gallons of about 150 proof alcohol. So it takes two batches to make one barrel. Hmm. And how big are your operations at this point? Are you, are you hand stirring these? You got machinery to do it for you at this point? Or? No, we did look into doing a, for the zesting, we did look into doing a automated uh, zester. But when you're zesting, you only wanna get the outer part of the fruit. The minute you get that white pith, that actually sours the product and you actually have to, at that point you have to either throw it out or redistill it and try to get all the flavors out. Mm. Um, so there's, there's ways that you can get it out of there. But luckily uh, we only did that for one small batch of about a gallon, but then we went back to the hand zesting. It takes longer, but it, it provides a better product. Okay. So what do we want to try first? So the first thing to try is going to be the wheat whiskey. All right. Josh, so you going to join me or no? I'm gonna let you. Uh, I'm gonna let you be the reviewer here. <laughs> so, okay. I always like to tell people the way to taste is put it up to your nose, breathe in through your nose, out your mouth, and you actually get a. Different I think you just confused them. You see, you see, look, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's too <laughs> complicated for you. Yeah. Uh, and then the second way, put it on the tip of your tongue and just kind of let it dissipate. Just like a little bit, or yeah, a little bit, because you're gonna get different flavors. Just kind of let it just go away. And then the third and final way to taste is to put it on the tip of your tongue and let it roll back. Interesting. 
again. You get three different, yeah, you get three different tastes off of that. So the, whenever people come to the distillery and they do a tour and tasting, a lot of times they'll just shoot it back and they don't really get the full experience of it. But yeah. when you kind of tell people a good way to, no, to I drink definitely it. like there was definitely like slightly different flavor profiles based yes. on. I mean, it was it's hard for me to notice because I don't do this a lot. Yeah. but I could tell that it was a little bit different each time. And the wheat whiskey, yeah, the wheat whiskey is intended to be a mild whiskey. Uh, not like a, a bourbon that is very harsh where the rye really comes on the back end. Um, this is to be very sweet, very smooth, very nutty. Um, almost like drinking a Hefeweizen beer. Yeah. Hefeweizen beer is you know, wheat beer. Right. No, that I mean, uh, it was definitely really smooth. I, and I liked that like there was less bite. I was expecting more bite to it. And yeah. it was very, very smooth the whole yeah. time. And and I'm getting you know, that good warm whiskey feeling. Whenever we make any type of whiskey, uh, my taste. Everybody always says I want to be a taste tester. My taste tester is my wife who doesn't drink whiskey. If she can drink it, I'll make it because I always feel like within the industry, all whiskey is geared towards men. The worse it tastes, the better it is. Like a scotch. Um, yeah, like a scotch. Um, <laughs> no offense, I, anybody from Scotland. And I, I love scotch. I drink scotch right. almost every every day. Uh, whenever I have a drink, I'll have scotch. Mm-hmm. But I always feel like. Uh, whiskey producers are always missing out on half of the market, um, so I want to make something that is it, it's uh, for a profile for a profile for what my wife likes to drink. She's a wino, so if she can drink it, that's when we bottle it. And, and we've gone through so many batches where she couldn't drink it, um, so nobody will ever taste those. <laughs> so most whiskey you're going to get inside of establishments is not going to be a wheat based. No, most uh, whiskeys there's that well there's that old saying all whis- all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. Um, here in the States, it is a lot of bourbon. Bourbon has seen a resurgence. I mean, during the, the 50s and 60s, I mean, uh, with with uh, Frank Sinatra drinking Jack Daniels, I mean, Jack Daniels just shot up, and it became such a huge brand, and everybody started drinking bourbon. You know, you watch Mad Men, and that's what happened. Uh, during the 70s and 80s, it was mostly, you know, rum, vodka, um, gin started to see a resurgence, and then the 80s, 90s was beer. And then in 2000s, that's when it really started to come back to whiskey. So the whiskey, the, the bars right now, you can go to any bar and they're going to have about 20 different labels of whiskey as opposed to, you know, maybe 20 years ago, they'd have just Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, and maybe a scotch. Sure. So there's a huge resurgence now with, with, with whiskeys in the industry. Okay. Okay. So, well, we've kind of gotten, so I'll try another one here, but yeah. while I'm doing that, I'll test. Uh, you know, I know how to taste now. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the one of the places we usually start is is the background in the childhood upbringing, like the large yeah. milestones kind of led you here. I mean, what age you fart, first start drinking whiskey? We can just be open about that. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Uh, to start out, uh, I'm not originally from Ohio. I, uh, I've adopted Ohio as my home uh, as of 2012. Um, I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. So I started out there. My 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 family had uh, I, almost every summer we were down in the Ozarks and. When people watch that TV show Ozark, which is a fantastic TV show, that's not what the Ozarks are like. I mean, you go down to Lake of the Ozarks, and it is, you know, restaurants all along the coast of the coastline there. Uh, but it's one of the most beautiful areas. But one thing that a lot of people don't know is uh, how there's, you know, with with marijuana laws, it's legal on the state level, but illegal on the federal level. Uh, Missouri is the only state where it's legal to own a still and you can produce up to 100 gallons for personal use. So you get, growing up in Missouri and going down the Ozarks, everybody had stills. I mean, I, I knew what the smell of 
of cooked mash and, and uh, whiskey was when I was a little kid. Um, so, you know, I, growing up there, you, you grew up around people making whiskey. My grandpa was one of them. He made really bad whiskey, but it was whiskey. Uh, but you grow up in that environment, especially down in the Ozarks, it's, it's very family oriented. So growing up, I, I, you know, I started working in restaurants when I was about 14 years old and uh, went to college. I went to a place called University of Central Missouri. It's uh, home of the Fighting Mules. Um, actually, side note, the, uh, the female coach of the 49ers from the Super Bowl, she was, went to uh, University of Central Missouri. It's not podunk school. It's, it's actually pretty big. Uh, Delaney Walker from the Tennessee Titans, he went there. Um, so it's a big school. I'm, but uh, I went there and, and kind of got to know a lot of the industry there as well within the restaurant industry. I graduated and uh, worked in marketing and then uh, went to grad school and got my MBA uh, focused in finance and auditing and then started working for Panera Bread. Uh, so I worked for their corporate office as a field services auditor. Uh, so if you've ever seen the movie Up in the Air, that's what I more or less did for three years and met a nice woman from New Jersey getting her PhD in St. Louis and then she said, on our second date, I'm moving to North Carolina in a couple months, so I followed her, hmm. and uh, we got married, and then we moved here to Ohio in 2012. Continued with auditing, and then uh, got into software sales, and then uh, it got to uh, it got to the point where I realized I wanted to work for myself more than I wanted to work for somebody else and get them rich. I'm not doing the distillery to necessarily get rich, but just that idea of doing something for yourself and doing something for your future just sitting in that cubicle day after day, you just start dreaming. And, and luckily, um, we were in a position where I could follow that dream. So I worked I, uh, where I lived out in Hilliard when we first moved here. I met a uh, guy who lived behind me. I used to play with his dog, and, and uh, his name was Ben. And we did a lot of barbecues together. And then <laughs> I introduced him to my hooch that I was making. and. He got excited about it, and he uh, introduced it to one of his friends. Uh, and uh, and maybe to find a hooch for the listener base, I'm still not fully sure I know what we're talking about right it now. It was a corn-based whiskey that I was making. and okay. then Yeah, I was thinking something very it, different. I didn't have a very uh, sophisticated still setup, so I used flavoring. So I would go out to Der Dutchman and go get their... They used to, I don't know if they still do, but a bunch of cider, different flavored ciders, and then I would make concoctions with it, like everybody makes apple pie, uh, moonshine, and then I was making like peach, and then we started getting some weird flavors, and then we decided we were going to do a distillery. One very drunken night, we just decided it, and we got the funding uh, from one of our partners, and then that kind of, you know, back office joking around like oh one day i'm going to start a distillery it just out of nowhere came to fruition uh so our one partner he bought the uh, uh distillery out in gahanna that where the the where we're located out in gahanna he bought it and then a couple of years later we got our federal license and then we were producing whiskey we initially started with the idea of doing moonshine but we saw the moonshine market tank uh, luckily i knew how to make other types of whiskey um, and then we got into the aging and uh, through the tutelage of uh, Ryan Lang over at Middle West Spirits at OIO, he helped us along and so did Greg at Watershed. Uh, we actually 
started to make pretty good stuff and started getting noticed by everybody. So to recap the milestones, so we do undergrad, what was the degree and was it marketing? Oh, was your no, my, uh, my undergrad degree is in public relations and speech communication. Okay. And then did you have a job between that and the MBA? Yeah, I actually, I worked for, uh, it was a marketing firm and I was uh, a road warrior working under the Shell Fuels brand. So uh, I was doing market research in the Southeast United States. Uh, driving from AutoZones to uh, Advanced Autos to O'Reilly's, getting information on the local population's use of if they're using Pennzoil or other you know products, and I did that for two years and loved every minute of it. But it wasn't what I wanted to do the rest of my life, so that's why I went back and got my grad degree. So we go back, get the MBA, we spend uh, then we spend time at Panera after that doing the auditing. How long were you at Panera for? About three and a half years. Okay. Almost four years, and then I had to make the decision. Uh, you know, do I do I marry this awesome gal, or do I continue working for Panera? And uh, it wasn't a hard decision, but you know, I, uh, I wasn't able to do the position remotely. So uh, when we moved here, I moved. I started working for a bank out in Newark uh, as an IT auditor, and then uh, after that, I actually worked for Bob Evans for about a year, uh, working and running their auditing. Uh, in the restaurants, so I've just been I've been working in restaurants on and off for about the last 25 years with small gaps in between, uh, working all the way from a dishwasher all the way to a corporate auditor. So the trip from North Carolina back to Columbus, I think I'm still missing a little bit of that part. What brought you back to Columbus then? Oh no, we moved to Columbus. Just uh, out of yeah, out of... we actually we were uh, my my wife was a professor at UNC Chapel Hill, and she called me one day and was like. What do you think of uh, Ohio State? And I said, I don't want to live in Cincinnati because I'm a Cardinals fan. And <laughs> she, she informed me that you know, it's in Columbus. So we came <laughs> out here uh, one day and just looked for houses, and then we moved about two months later. Hey there, Conquerors. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors here on the show. Studio 301. Mike and I, we've been working with Studio 301 on our rebrand doing our website, doing some new photography, working on some logo adjustments, and just really positioning Conquering Columbus uh, in a more professional light. And I can tell you, Mike, it's been the funnest experience and the easiest experience I've ever had working with any type of creative agency. They come to the table with all kinds of awesome ideas that we're really excited about, and everything that we've come up with so far and that we're about to put out is is awesome. I'm super excited about it. Yeah, I, I haven't been more excited about Pretty much anything since we've done the podcast. Like I really enjoy talking to all our guests, but this rebrand is just painted in a whole new light. And you know, Kyle and his team have been a pleasure to work with. They've gone out of their way to go above and beyond to make this thing really special. So I think we're really excited to release this rebrand to everybody out there listening. And uh, I hope you guys love it as much as we do. And one of the best things is the rebrand not only positions Conquering Columbus as a whole, but all of our guests and more of a uh, professional and clean and formalized look that you know they deserve. We have super, super high quality, amazing people on here and I think that this is gonna represent them really well so it's been great. So thanks again to Studio 301. Yeah, if you guys wanna learn more about Studio 301, go check out the links down in the show notes. Help support Kyle and local teams here in Columbus and uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the interview. So throwing it back from the zero to one, we talked a little bit about the foundations of how the business all kind of fell, fell together and how that worked out. What did it look like from a business plan standpoint actually developing from financing and, and taking it from ideation to creation? So when we first started out, it was me and my two partners. And uh, 
our business plan was was very focused on moonshine. We wanted to follow that that trend. Luckily, we were able to self-fund ourselves. Uh, we have still not taken a bank loan, which has allowed us to make whatever we want. Um, usually when distillers first start out, they have to get something to pay the bills. Um, so they make a vodka, gin, or rum, so a white liquor that doesn't have to age. That was not part of our business plan from day one. So when we first started, we were really looking at how can we incorporate any type of, of flavors because that's what we really wanted to get into is how can we enhance bars and restaurants' ability to make creative cocktails because we did see the craft uh, cocktail uh, becoming a large portion of the, of the industry. Okay, so from that point, right? So mm-hmm. you, you got lucky, you didn't have to create the first one, but what were some of the earlier challenges then? You know, you had the funding, mm-hmm. so that's half. That's up. half the, the right. That's half the battle. But what, yeah. what was going on? What were some of the things that were difficult early on? The really the difficult parts were the stills that we're working on were you know home built, uh, anywhere between eight and uh, thirty gallons, and then our first still that we bought uh, for the distillery is it's two hundred gallons. Uh, we did direct steam instead of direct fire and uh, an electric. So really getting up to date on how to do that. So we did. We, we were required to um, hire some consultants to come and work with us, and luckily we were able to get one from Jim Beam that really kind of uh, steered us the right way. Um, and that's why I'm always looking for consultants and people to give us really good advice on how to, how to build um, a new plan. So, we, I mean, we pivoted probably three or four times before we actually came out with our first product. Okay. Okay, and speaking of product, in between... The uh, time we've been talking, I got a chance to taste the apple-flavored whiskey. Very smooth. And I don't normally like apple whiskey, but mm-hmm. it wasn't too strong, which I liked. Yeah. So and I the, appreciate of that. Yeah, with apple whiskey, it's always artificial flavors. And, um, I mean, the examples that we have out here that's available in the market are always Granny Smith apple. Um, and like Crown Royal Apple. Or yeah. Whiskey. Yeah, they, it's, it's always Granny Smith because that's the easiest one to replicate. Um, in an artificial flavoring. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually anywhere between 15 and 25% of the final product is the flavoring itself. Mm-hmm. And you can taste the sugar, yeah. Like that's, that you mentioned that, mm-hmm. when I think of other apple whiskeys, I don't like the sugary, kind of sticky aftertaste, but mm-hmm. this didn't have that. Yeah, and that's, uh, there's a lot of reasons for what makes this a really good cocktail mixer. And that's one of them is that it's not loaded with sugar. Also, we want people to be able to taste the grains, unlike some of the other flavored whiskeys, where you can't tell if it's corn or rye or anything. And almost all the time, it's just 99% corn. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make horrible alcohol that they can cover with flavoring and sugar. Mm-hmm. So we actually pay a lot of attention. Our flavoring is 2.5%. Um, our, sugar, our sugar ratios are about 9%. So we really try to focus on the whiskey and use the flavor to enhance the, the, the whiskey itself. Okay. So this is one of our flavors. We also have a Bing Cherry flavored whiskey. That was our, actually our first product that came to market was our Bing Cherry flavored whiskey. And then we have a whole line of fall flavors. It's vanilla salted caramel, which is the most popular. And then we have a maple and, and a, uh, a pumpkin spice, which we should have just called spiced whiskey uh, because there's no pumpkin in it. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> yeah. Uh, pumpkin spice whiskey, man. I don't know if I could go for that, but 
Um, it's I think I'm ready to try one of the cellos though. So yes. I'm, now I'm curious because these have been pretty good. I'm telling you, and the I've cello heard from is, Josh that the cello, the cello is, is the very best. good. It's this, the fastest way to blackout you can find in this world, I think. Well, I mean, the the the, the we we didn't intend for people to black out on it. I mean, that's more of a self control thing. I will yeah. say as Let's a disclaimer. Let's just say the conquering Columbus. And uh, Noble yeah. Cut do not condone the message no, that Josh yeah, is no. supporting strictly, right now. Strictly my own personal Absolutely, opinion. we support responsible drinking. The one that you grabbed, that is our lime cello. So we use Persian limes. Persian limes have a higher oil content, but also it really has a deep lime flavor. Almost like a margarita without tequila. But we have a lot of different wow. bars and restaurants here in Columbus that, that are really using good. it. Thank you. That is delicious. Yeah. Josh, you got to try it. You gotta try it. Pour him, a, pour him one. He's not getting away with this one. <laughs> All right, I'll give it a go. Yeah, it is. I mean, so, that is really good stuff. So as I do this, how did the evolution of the business? Like, when did you start having employees, and what did that look like? Uh, we just started having employees this last year. I'm doing the production. I'm doing the sales. I'm doing the marketing. My business partners are really running the business part, mm-hmm. which is fine by me. I mean, I love. I, I mean, I, I love business. I. I you know, I love entrepreneurship. I, I mean, in grad school, that was where I really focused on was entrepreneurship and financing. But be actually being able to be on the forefront of the product line and be in the face of the company, that's where I really fit. When we first hired uh, people out, uh, employees, we our need was in sales. And now our need is in production. Um, so luckily, we have one of our very good friends who is a uh, ar- uh, army vet that comes and helps us uh, every week. And he's, if I, I will say this until the day I die, you hiring vets is the absolute best move any business can make. Because the one thing that vets can do better than anybody else I've ever seen is they work until you have to tell them to stop. And I have to tell him, Vince, stop. You know, and that's, I, I'm just in, in total awe of, of, his, of the work ethic of vets. Um, so, but right now we are going to be looking at um, adding some more sales and even probably some more production uh, as we start scaling up. Okay. Okay. So talk about scaling, I guess. What are some of your current goals and initiatives there? Uh, right now uh, we are we can be found in about 70, 75 restaurants in central Ohio. We can be found in about 35 uh, liquor agencies throughout the state of Ohio. Uh, we're adding on to those about two to three per month, two to three agencies per month. So really scaling up is going to involve uh, a lot of capital, um, a distribution model, which uh, working with distributors throughout the state, that is going to be probably the most important move that we make in the next six months to a year, because that's going to take us out of the state of Ohio as well if we, once we set up those partnerships. Really, we're not going to be doing as much R&D. I, I feel like uh, we... Have, we have the product line that we have that people love. Um, I mean, we have our bourbon, which is uh, a uh, Creekside bourbon, which it's an ode to Gehanna. Uh, we have the, the wheat whiskey. Uh, we have the flavored whiskeys and the cellos. Uh, we're actually starting to pare down some of our offerings to make it a little bit more accessible throughout the state uh, because we do have to work with the state of Ohio in order to get our products out to the customers. So being a regulated state that we are. Mm-hmm. So dive more into it if you're comfortable about the go-to-market strategy within this industry. So like the distribution model and all that, um, obviously when it comes to dealing with retailers, it's a little bit different mm-hmm. than, than some other businesses. So what does Absolutely. that look like for you guys? And, and isn't it kind of like flipping it, like 
I've almost understood it as once you get that uh, point of momentum or, or however you want to describe it, mm-hmm. you can blow up pretty quickly. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it, for instance, take a look at Fireball. Fireball used to be called Dr. McGillicuddy's Cinnamon Brewers. It, it had a weird name to it. And then they did a rebranding and did Fireball. And they started selling it at a couple bars in Tennessee, in Nashville, Tennessee. And then some of the country stars started to drink it and then they started to talk about it on their social media and then it just blew up i mean that was their strategy uh because when it was dr mcgillicuddy's it wasn't selling at all so what's hard to order it is yeah <laughs> and it's also the name i mean it is the name and, and having a name that is very simple for people to say and to order it's actually that we see that that is very important as well but with scaling up as far as going to market there's really only two strategies you could have in liquor. And that's, do you go to the bars or do you go to the agencies? And our strategy that we first took was go to bars. You know, do the, do any event that can take you, that will take you, and then go to bars because the bars were where customers are, they get interested in a drink, and then they go to the liquor agency and then they buy it, and then the liquor agency has to order more. That's one strategy. The other strategy is to open up a big event space, like a a restaurant or um, having a patio that people can come at. That's another strategy that has only been available here in Ohio for the past two to three years. It really started with Middle West and Watershed opening the door for a lot of us, our smaller distilleries, so that if we do want to have a restaurant in the future, we can. But that's where you have to have insane amount of capital to start that type of venture. Would High Banks be like an example? Yeah, High Bank. Yeah, Adam, Adam and Jordan over there have done an incredible job um, going to market. So, And the, the hard part is, is there's no wrong answer in how to go to market. There really isn't. I mean, I know High Bank is doing really well. This, I mean, if you take a look at, at Middle West and you take a look at, at Watershed, they've done an amazing job. Um, adding on different silos onto their onto their uh, their offerings, um, so I don't think that I, I think that we absolutely went to market the correct way. Um, there were some bumps in the road that we didn't uh, anticipate. Um, part of it being is that when you come out with a product, people love it, but selling the first bottle is easy. Selling the second bottle is hard. You know, you're keeping people interested in your product. Luckily, I think that our cello line has really kept people interested, and then they it's introducing them to their whiskey lines, which that's what's keeping them coming back. And speaking of the cello lines, well, first off, speaking of the cello lines, I'm going to try the lemon cello now. Yep. <laughs> uh, but second off, speaking of the cello lines, that comes from a family recipe, right? From yes. your grandmother Serafina. You want to talk a little more about that? Yeah, the it's a family recipe. Uh, we can date back. Oh, I can date back to my Nana because that's who introduced it to us, but um, it goes back about six generations. And we deviate from the recipe in one part. Um, in the family recipe, they were using simple syrup at a higher concentration, and we use the liquid inverted sugar, which just means that it mixes better in the batch, um, and we don't have to use as much. The, when, when people go over to Italy, they come back and they have this love for limoncello. Limoncello, it's an Italian liqueur that comes from the Malfi Coast, um, and it's a digestif. Um, so you eat that huge Italian meal, spaghetti meatballs, and you drink limoncello to help you digest everything. Well, 
people go over to Italy and they have it and they drink it in cocktails and they come back here to the States and they're really disappointed when they come and try a limoncello and it's like 10% alcohol, 20% alcohol. And it tastes like Dawn soap and uh, with all the artificial flavorings and colorings and sweeteners. So we, when we make our batches, it's, it's really following the hand recipes that we follow uh, that come from the family. One thing you mentioned throughout the show is how you have these meaningful relationships with different distillers across town. You've helped each other. It seems like an ecosystem. Yes. What does it look like from a competitive standpoint? Is it cooperating or does everybody have their own niche? Our competition is the big guys. You know, that is the, the Brown Foremans, the Diageos, the Jim Beams, you know, the, that's our competition. My competition is not Watershed and Middle West. Um, we actually work together and we talk all the time and bounce ideas off of each other because I'm not taking market share away from them. It's, it's us trying to fight for that market share. If, if, we, if Ohio liquors can actually get even a 2% market increase, I mean, that is, that's adding so many jobs to the state of Ohio and that's adding uh, value to our companies to where we can start offering more products. And that's what the message that we're trying to get out to people. I mean, even the t-shirt I'm wearing right now is just drink local. And yeah, it's a Noble Cut Distillery shirt, but when I go into a bar, I'm, I'm looking to see what they have. If I, if, if I go in there and they have Tito's, I suggest, I say, have you ever thought about bringing in Buckeye Vodka? You know, um, Seth Warren is a, a partner that we work together on a lot of things. If I walk in and they have, all they have is Sazerac rye, I said, have you thought about bringing in, you know, maybe Middle West Pumpernickel rye? And I know they do it for me too. When they walk in and they see that there's a limoncello that's from California, they say, have you thought of Noble Cut? And we really do work together. It's, uh, we work within the Ohio Distillers Guild. We meet about two or three times a year. We have all these events together and it's all about promoting uh, Ohio. And that's all we're really trying to do right now. Which is an amazing understanding of your guys' customer and your market segment because I can think internally about when I go to get whiskeys or alcohols from the store. Mm-hmm. And if I see a local brand, I'm not, I'm not deciding between one or the other. I'm usually thinking, man, I'm either going to buy one of every single one of these bottles, not because I have a problem, but because <laughs> I want to try all the different local ones in my area and I want to support local. It's just, it's, it's a cool, I don't, I don't know if I want to say hipster because that's such a derogatory word, but I almost feel like it's like a, it's like a hipster movement, I guess, yeah. a little bit. You know, like you want to try that local. And I, I, I don't care about the commercial as much. Well, and, and there's something to be said about how Ohio buys Ohio. And it's something that in every place I've lived, I've lived in six other states and I've never seen this before in any state. If I put something made in Ohio, people are gravitated towards that. But what we're really trying to promote is you're not just buying Noble Cut and patting our pockets. We are buying our barrels from Jackson, Ohio, it's from Spacey uh, Cooperage. So we're, the money that, you, that goes from you buying the bottle is also going to support the, that local company. They're buying all their wood to make their barrels from Waverly, Ohio, from all those farms. So it's just trickling down to those people. Um, our labels are made in Lancaster, Ohio. Our, our corks come from um, up near Cleveland. I mean, all of our grain comes from Ohio. So. When we say, you know, buy local, it's not just buying our products. It's actually buying, you're, you're supporting probably about another 12 to 15 um, small businesses. And you know what? It's it's funny because I come from California originally. Mm-hmm. And it's I think it all stems to that Ohio against the world mentality that people have in Ohio. It's, you know, 
Cleveland and Cincinnati, they don't necessarily get along, but they're all from Ohio. And yeah. Ohioans have this very unique sense of community that I don't think you see as much in other no. states. And, and, and the kind of, what I really love about Columbus, and especially like what this podcast talks about is, is like local businesses, is that I meet so many people that aren't from Ohio, but we all adopt this mentality as well uh, when we come here. Because, I mean, when you, go, when you go to a liquor store and you see all these different bottles that are sitting there, take a look at the back of the bottle and see where it's made. I mean, it's something so easy and so because if, if people actually read the back of bottles, they actually might get a story and they might find another reason why they like the alcohol. But yeah, it's, it is about supporting everything that is Ohio. Mm-hmm. So what are the goals look like for you and the team for the future? Obviously, we really want to start getting the word out there about Noble Cut more. We do not have the million dollar marketing budget. Our marketing budget is really is just word of mouth right now. Um, social media, word of mouth. Uh, we have some great partners that we work with. Um, I know you had him on the podcast a while ago, uh, Mark uh, from Simple Times Mixers. I mean, he is one of the best. Uh, him and his team are some of the best partners in the world. They help us promote. We, I mean, we did uh, Cleveland Beer Fest a couple weeks ago. Uh, we went through, God, I want to say seven or eight cases of, of alcohol, which, you know, Cleveland can drink, and then we're going to see in a couple of weeks when we go down to Cincinnati uh, when we do Beer Fest down there. But going, getting into the restaurants and bars, I mean, we have some great partners like Local Roots Up in Powell. Um, they're a fantastic partner, uh, Liberty Tavern, uh, Blarney Stone in Worthington. Um, they, they actually were the first bar to bring in Simple Times and Noble Cut. We have this uh, keg cocktail program where our limoncello, or all of our products, uh, but predominantly our limoncello mixed with their mixers in a keg that can go on a tap. And it's a 100% local product that it's easy for bartenders and plus it's about 10% alcohol and it's consistent every single time. So if you have a chance, Blarney Stone is a fantastic partner. They, they do great things for us, but that's the, we, we just need to get into more bars. We need to have more bars understand what we're trying to do and to really support local and get that word across. And that's, that's really where our bottleneck is right now, is, is getting noticed. And we, we are starting to get noticed. I mean, we were a part of that New York Times article that came out a couple months ago, um, and that really gave us a really good bump. Absolutely. Well, before we get to the last question of our show here, Tony, you got any advice for our listeners out there? Um, <laughs> hmm. There's a lot of advice. Just be adventurous. I was, I was, whenever I go out drinking, I always fall into that whole category. What's the cheapest thing? Um, and then it's the same experience every single time. I always like to challenge people just to think outside the norm, you know, but also to identify why you're buying the products you're buying. And that's the advice I like to give people, especially when they come on tours at the distillery is why are you buying that same bottle of white rum that you've been buying since college? Go out and try to experience something new because if you're going to buy local, there are some great rums that you can drink that are not that standard big rum producer, which I don't like to say their name. Uh, there's Echo Spirits down at Grandview. Go try them. They make a great product. So just be adventurous. Try new things. I think that's solid advice. And uh, Tony, a good place to pivot towards our last question of the show, which is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. 
Mm-hmm. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? Really, <laughs> with my career, I'm all. It's finding that new challenge. Um, complacency is, I think, just the uh, it's the enemy of progress. So getting uncomfortable and finding those challenges that make you get outside of your box is so important, just to living a fulfilling life. I mean, I, I you always think about those 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 people you see on the streets. I I, I can't remember the kids. It's called kismet or whatever. Where you're, you're I can't remember the word. And you might want to cut this out, but. When you're walking down the street and you, you see people and you, they all have a different story. And what makes your story different from theirs? Oh, it's one of those weird, is it a weird German word or something? There's like, yeah. Yeah, so there's all kinds of, I, now I can't remember the word. So, I know what you're talking about though, but yeah, there's yeah. Like, it's like a very specific definition. But how word. many people are living comfortably? Mm-hmm. You know, and how many people are living outside of their, their comfort levels? And to be uncomfortable is actually a great place to be. And, uh, you know, if, if I was living comfortably, I would have never kept on dating my wife and I would have stayed in St. Louis. But two months after she told me she was moving to North Carolina, I followed her. And that made me, then I followed her to Columbus. And if it wasn't for me following her to Columbus, I would have never started this distillery. I still would be living in St. Louis, probably still working for Panera, still living a comfortable life. But, you know, living that experience and taking a chance actually brought me to where I am now and it's the greatest choice I ever made hmm. solid advice and I think uh, a great answer Tony but thanks so much for joining us hey, thank you guys so much thanks so much for bringing yeah, in some product to try I really and, I really did like it and please everybody come out to Noble Cut Distillery go on our website and check out we do do tours every Saturday 12 o'clock 1 and 3 o'clock so just uh, yeah, come on and check us out hey guys check out those links they'll all be down in the show notes you know the drill Uh, If you like this episode, leave us a like, share it with your friends. We appreciate you so much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like, share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting, lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunities. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's small. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. 
If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. If you could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.